Hi, I'm Eric Dank, interview editor of Georgetown Public Policy Review. Senior interview editor Disraeli Smith and I met with all five Spring GU Politics fellows to start this semester's podcast. I'm really excited to have this group on campus and hope everyone gets a chance to interact and learn from the fellows like we did. We talked about their upcoming discussion groups, our spring theme of uncertainty, and any advice they have for students interested in politics and policy. We hope you enjoy the group discussion and look for our individual conversations with each fellow throughout the semester. We'll post those as we record them. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. Great. Um, so, hey, it's Disraeli Smith, and welcome to Spring 2018. And we are here with the Spring 2018 uh, GU Politics Spring Fellows, an illustrious group of people. Uh, and so, just to start, uh, we'd ask that uh, each fellow introduce themselves, speak loudly for our audio listeners, uh, and also talk a little bit about uh, what your discussion group will be uh, this semester. So, we'll start to my left. Uh, okay. Sure. So, my name is Katie Walsh. Um, I'm really excited to be here. Look forward to interacting with the students and having some great discussions. Um, the main topic of my of my discussion group will we'll really look at um, presidential elections um, and national elections as a whole, and, and what kind of goes in and what's changed over the course of the last couple cycles in terms of um, how campaigns are run. Um, does campaign do how campaigns used to be run? Does that have any effect or or um, has that changed greatly? And how we how we communicate with voters, um, how people go about running for office, the two party system in this country, uh, how the nominating process works, and, and things like that. And my uh, group will meet Tuesdays at four. All right, great. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's uh, terrific to be here with you and with this incredible group of, uh, of fellows. I'm Nadim Al Shami, and uh, my discussion group really focuses on how to get things done in Washington. Everyone thinks that nothing gets done in Washington. Well, you know, if you watch the news, if you look at your Twitter feed, sure, that's 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 you think that's the case. But quietly underneath, things have to get done. So, my discussion group focuses on the uh, art of the impossible in the age of the new abnormal, um, and it's going to be meeting on Thursdays at four o'clock. And it's just the applications behind the scenes on what really happens in the halls of Congress. Hi, I'm Eugene Scott. Uh, really glad to be here. I am a reporter with the Washington Post who uh, goes on air um, on CNN and MSNBC talking about the news of the day. And uh, my uh, discussion group will be on identity politics in the age of Trump. I think uh, this past election has revealed just how diverse our country is and how core of a job we're doing understanding uh, different people outside of our own bubbles. And so we will be spending time focusing on what um, implications policy has on different people, uh, depending on what identity groups they're in, and trying to understand how to make America work for people in your tribe and outside your tribe at the same time. Uh, and I'm uh, Stephen Law. I uh, currently run uh, several super PACs, including American Crossroads and the Senate Leadership Fund. And uh, I'm really excited to be part of G, uh, GU Politics at the McCourt Center. And uh, I'm really excited especially to be talking uh, about uh, the sustainability of democracy. Uh, got so many different things going on that uh, I think uh, 
potentially weaken democracy, contempt for politics, the advent of fake news, free speech under fire, the presence of a lot of money in politics, super PACs, including the ones I run. And we're going to spend some time evaluating the impact of each of those and how that's impacting democracy, how we can improve it and make it better. So looking forward to it. Hi, I'm Dorothy McAuliffe, and I am the former First Lady of Virginia as of six days ago. And I'm really excited to be on campus and to be a GU Fellow at the McCourt School this, this semester. Um, my topic is revitalizing democracy um, by inspiring public service in our next generation and looking at ways to um, engage and create more civic engagement um, in this next generation. Really, our faith in democratic institutions, as Stephen mentioned, is at an all-time low. And uh, we need to make sure that it's up to this next generation and how can we uh, think together, think creatively about what is public service, how do we define public service, and, and how can public service uh, really make sure that uh, our democracy continues uh, to succeed. I think I also have an interesting perspective on the importance of state and local government. I think in D.C. we get a little centric sometimes on focused on the federal government, but how you know, state government, state legislatures really do impact our daily lives uh, with the laws or uh, general assembly sessions are opening all across the country um, as of this month. And, uh, you know, these these laws impact, uh, you know, health and uh, women's health, voting rights, environment, um, gun rights, uh, you know, you name it. And um, I think there's a focus here sometimes uh, too often on um, just the federal government when actually local and state governments actually have a very important role to play in realizing ensuring that next generation focuses on those opportunities as well for public service. Um, I love politics and I say all the time that politics really is policy and so you can't care about policy and not care about politics. So my session, I hope people will come and help us think together uh, Monday at 2 o'clock. Uh, so, like we mentioned before we sat down and started recording, the, we're put with GPPR, so we have a spring edition journal that comes out. We try to stick to a theme at the beginning of each journal to sort of tie all of our articles together, and this year's theme is uncertainty. Uh, so, when you hear that word and think about uncertainty in politics and policy, uh, what comes to mind for you all, and what are you thinking about when you think of uncertainty? When I think of uncertainty, this is Eugene, um, I think about voters I talk to who wonder if uh, future America will be a place for them, be it traditionalists who have very uh, Judeo-Christian values and think about uh, how uh, maybe more progressive the country is becoming ideologically, and quite frankly, like queer people as well, and immigrants who uh, in the past have felt more welcome here, but now are hearing things that say maybe this America isn't for you. And so when people think about what America is, people hear that differently depending on the identity groups they're a part of. And we're also hearing people now say, my vision of what America can be um, may not include you or may uh, include fewer representatives of you or include you but require you to be less vocal. And I think people are uh, uncomfortable and people want to know if... Uh, this is somewhere they can be welcomed uh, long term. When I think of uncertainty, I think of um, an issue I've worked on uh, really um, over the last four years related to poverty, child hunger, 
Um, I think of the uncertainty that parents face today in terms of just making those, uh, making ends meet, getting food on the table, um, whether or not we're going to have health care, um, whether or not uh, my job's going to be there tomorrow, a generation that's facing uh, for the first time ever uh, the reality that their the lives that their children will leave may not uh, be as um, economically uh, stable as the lives they have. College debt, you know, many young people I meet today um, take dreamers aside, uh, wondering, you know, am I going to be able to afford uh, to, to, to finish college? Am I going to be able to, what job am I going to be able to get? Am I going to pay off that college debt? Um, so it's really those bread and butter issues, I think, that are the issues that I think of most when I think about uncertainty. I think most people, uh, the, the thing that keeps them up at night, the things they talk about around the kitchen table are, are those kinds of economic issues that uh, you were just talking about. And um, you know, one of the challenges that uh, American workers have faced uh, really over the last few decades has been the, uh, the, the twin present, well, three things really, immigration, trade, technology. Each one of those has had an impact on, on workers in this country. And I think uh, uh, there are, it's, a, it's a huge challenge for policymakers to think about the right approaches to deal with the, the impact of each of these issues. You can, uh, uh, you can restrict trade, uh, but then that has an impact on uh, uh, other sectors of the economy. It's really hard to put the genie of technology back in the bottle. Uh, and even immigration, obviously, is not an issue that uh, where the answers are are easy, uh, and, and there are a lot of different things to, uh, to to balance out. So I think for a lot of people, though, those are the kinds of things where you know, we sort of had a very self-contained economy back in the 1950s, and that has dramatically changed uh, in the decades since. Most people would probably say for the better. Most people would say that it's, it's largely brought about uh, uh, a higher level of prosperity for people, but it also has its consequences and challenges that we've got to work through. Um, when I think of uncertainty, I think of the our our institutions, our civic institutions, uh, and especially Congress, uh, and especially the role of Congress and the role of government. Um, and that's why I want to talk about that there are good people trying to get good things done for our nation. Uh, unfortunately, Congress for so many years has uh, gotten a bad rap, uh, rightly so in some instances, but also not so in others. Um, but our country is based on um, uh, these institutions that govern for the people and by the people. And my concern is uh, the continuing um, coming after uh, politicians and after policy uh, and not listening to the other side uh, is slowly destroying those, uh, those, uh, those institutions which, which we need. And, and, uh, uh, for our democracy to continue to thrive. Yeah, I mean, I think Stephen and Dorothy um, really talked about a lot of things that come to mind when I think about uncertainty, but but primarily as well, I mean, Dorothy mentioned, you know, kids coming up, going to college, figuring out how they're going to pay for it, uncertainty of their futures and what their futures hold because of what they can afford and what they can't afford. But also baby boomers in this generation who are looking at potentially still losing their jobs um, and are worried that the field that they've worked their whole lives in no longer exists in this country. And so where do they go to get new training for those jobs? What do they do for the last five or ten years of their career if they're really counting on having income? Um, and then the, the third thing that I think is, you know, we've really gotten away in this country because of a lot of the high costs of education, other things of a, of a culture of savings, right? And so there are a lot of people that are looking towards their retirement and are really scared 
about what that looks like because they haven't had an opportunity to put money away the way um, the way they would have wanted to. And so there's, a, I think, um, dealing with with how to with how to help those folks feel more safe and more certain in their futures is important as well. Yeah, I, I think that's all a lot of things. And a lot of things you guys have talked about. You talked about political uncertainty, economic uncertainty, you know, and, and our uncertainty in our institutions and uncertainty in race and the role of, you know, identity and how that plays. And I want to kind of go back to a thing Dorothy talked about, about local and state government, you know. And obviously we have a national perspective and a lot of things going on here in, you know, the capital of D.C. What's one thing that has surprised you in a positive way? Uh, about you know our pl- politics today and where we are in, in society, and one thing that you know is more negative that you know has taken you aback that you didn't think would happen you know recently, if you will. It's a deep question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. have to be optimistic. Right. Yeah, that's, 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 man, that is. That's why. I, that's why I live with positive. Well, let, 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 let that sink in for a second here. I, uh, I, I can uh, respond to the positive bit with a, a level of um, ease. Uh, when I was in Alabama last month covering the Senate race, um, I was very taken aback by the number of people who were on the ground with Birmingham roots, with Selma roots from smaller cities um, in Alabama who were very involved and interested in um, shaping America and the world's perception of their state and their communities. When I went there, I was a bit fearful that everyone on the ground would be from DC uh, on both sides of the aisle and just really involved in the race. But it was great seeing Um, people of faith and millennials and boomers and women and men saying, um, we don't like some of the conversations that people are having about our state. Um, We know that we often are um, at the top of the list of worst states for fill in the blank, and we just don't want to be a part of that. And and so um, that civic engagement was very encouraging because sometimes um, you just feel like people maybe outside of professional politics may not be as engaged in these off years as you think they should be. And um, that just wasn't the case. So I mean, I, I, I was very engaged, uh, encouraged by that positive piece. In Virginia as well, just turnout, you know, from the 16 presidential to the 17 typical off year gubernatorial race, this was historic turnout in Virginia. Um, I also just think the the number of women who stepped up to run and the number of women that ran, changing the face of our end, and uh, as well as other, um, you know, our first transgender elected state legislator in the country, um, uh, just really diverse candidates for the first time really stepping up in a big, big way in Virginia. And I think that we have seen, uh, with many of those candidates winning, we've seen an, an, an excitement and it's ignited more people to run for office and I think that's a good thing. It's increased both voter participation and candidates jumping into races at all levels, local, state, specials. Um, so I think that is a real positive. That's what we've been talking about is like civic engagement. How do we get, you know, how do people paying attention again? 90 million eligible voters didn't vote in 2016's presidential and yet we have now seen since then, you know, real increased participation and I'd say excitement on both sides about what we need to do. Yeah, I think in general, I'm almost always uh, encouraged by elections in general, even the elections that don't turn out the way I want. 
um, because I think there's sometimes you know, people who either study electorates or even people who uh, are trying to get electorates to do different things, including people in the campaign and political arenas, sometimes there's the view that, that, that you know, voters are kind of ignorant rubes and they're just manipulatable and they, they just kind of you know, keep kind of pushing in one direction or another. But I think, I think voters end up being like juries. And I thought what, what Eugene had to say about Alabama was really an interesting and important uh, development. I mean, here's a state that is as Republican as Republican get, as conservative as it gets, and they had uh, a nominee on the Republican side who was certainly very conservative, but, but had a lot of things to him that were very deeply uh, troubling to voters. <clears throat> and as Eugene said, I mean, they had come out of an experience where the governor had, had really publicly shamed the state uh, through misconduct. And I think voters in the state just said, you know, we're not going to let that happen to us again. And, and that, I find that encouraging. I found last year's election encouraging. I know a lot of people, I guess, were probably disappointed by the outcome, but, but voters looked at the two candidates. There were things they clearly did not like about either candidate. And they finally made a decision that reflected their view that they wanted to see a change happen. And that's why they cast the vote they did. And I find in the, at the end of the day, when I look at election results, it's, it's pretty rare when I look at an election result and say, well, I don't understand that at all. I think voters end up making the decision. They end up thinking through issues and, and making pretty recent judgments, uh, at least along the lines of what they're hoping to achieve. Look, I, I'm encouraged when a um, Democrat or a Republican reaches across the aisle uh, and um, works with the other party. Or you see that quite a bit on um, a uh, scale on the state level when governors work uh, with each other. Um, you know, there's a group in um, in Congress called the uh, Problem Solvers Caucus, and you know it's an interesting group. When I was in, you know, in leadership, it's you know sometimes we got some headaches from them because some of the bills they wanted to introduce were not, you know, uh, party <laughs> uh, uh, bills. Uh, but it's it's it, it was refreshing to see a Republican and a Democrat, uh, or actually a group of them, sitting down trying to hash out problems. They're not going to address everything, but there's some common ground that they can find. And actually, that's I'm encouraged by that. I think you're going to see more and more of that. Look, you don't compromise your values, but you go to Congress to legislate. And I think that's what they're trying to do. I mean, I would say I'm encouraged when I see, when I see an election happen and I see people take part either in that election for the first time or in an election in the process moving forward because they weren't happy with an outcome of an election. And so what we want to see, what I want to see in this country, and I spent some time studying um, and reading about and, and traveling to countries and, and studying their election processes. And the sanctity of our elections is really something unique and special. Um, and so we should never take that for granted. And so I think a positive in that is, is how the United States has, has really protected the sanctity of our election process. And it's not something to be taken lightly. Um, and so I always get excited when I see just engagement because of that election process. There's going to be, there are so many elections happening across the world that are so, you know, fraud based, um, where outcomes are not respected, where there are, um, you know, tons of people that are not listened to, um, not able to vote. And so um, it's really encouraging to me to see when an election happens, people just understand how special that is and therefore take part in it either for the first time or hopefully the next time because they were either happy or unhappy with the outcome. Great. Um, so, Again, with the fact that most of our listeners are going to be people who are really interested in, in pursuing uh, policy, politics, and in, in the future. So uh, with all of your experience, and like we said, it's been a pretty interesting time to be involved, 
what do you think that students of public policy should sort of take heed of before entering the field, whether it be journalism, whether it be on a staff, uh, as a first lady with a PAC? Uh, what, what sort of, uh, not necessarily words of caution, but uh, pieces of advice you would give for people who are, who are young and interested in entering the field? The pay is very low. <laughs> the reward is great. <laughs> the monetary payoff. Even running a pack, the pay is low. <laughs> you raise millions. <laughs> yeah, precious little that comes in our direction. <laughs> I'd say please do it. I mean, yeah. and and, um, and don't be afraid and and find a candidate or a cause or organization that you believe in and invest yourself in it. Because one of the great things about working in politics, I found. Um, is no one, no one cares what your college degree was in. No one cares where you went to school for the most part. They care about how hard you work once you're in that, once you're in that office or in, on that campaign. And so it's a real opportunity to get to, for, you know, to be able to rise quickly in a field where you know if you don't have a master's degree or you don't have a law degree, you're not penalized for that. And so you really um, have an opportunity to, to work on some really cool issues that you care about in a real, really, you know, real way. My best piece of advice, I think, over the years, I took it when I was younger too, is don't don't plan it out too too firmly, right? Leave doors open, leave opportunities open. You never know where one thing might lead to another. Politics is a great and advocacy is a great way to meet passionate people who um, really care, and that's a wonderful environment to work in, and uh, not just collecting the paycheck, but actually, you know, really feeling passionate about the work you're doing every day is, is something that is. Um, invaluable and uh, you meet so many people along the way and people that you'll come back to again and again whether it's a campaign or um, you know interning at a, a nonprofit uh, you know it's just a lot of don't uh, keep the doors open don't think you've got to do the cookie cutter oh this type of internship that leads to this type of job um, take advantage of youth and time which is on your side and and leave doors open the other thing I would just say is that I think it's important that in terms of a cautionary note that it shouldn't just be all about youth. Uh, there are plenty of people in politics who are just all about them, and you can spot them from a mile away. And sometimes they succeed, although it's harder to succeed with that mentality than you might think. But the one thing that's true about them all is they have very few friends. And uh, the great thing about politics is, uh, the wonderful good thing about politics is it's an opportunity to make a difference and to be caught up in a cause or a purpose that's bigger than yourself. And if it's just about you, uh, it, it's first of all, it's not going to be as rewarding, uh, but also you're not going to make the impact that you hope to make. I was uh, going to say, I mean, I, I obviously don't know the career uh, interests of most of your students, but um, I do know a lot of people at public policy school want to work in D.C. and national politics. Um, and I would say there are two things. That, that's obviously fine. But if, if you can develop some level of knowledge of state politics, and global politics. I think that will make you far more effective in in the U.S. because the U.S. is made up of states and the U.S. is a world leader. And I think a lot of times you see people in Washington who've never worked at the state level and know very little about the state and have never worked at the global level and know very little about the world outside of the U.S. And those are just really huge um, knowledge gaps to have uh, when you're at the table dealing with issues that affect so many different people. Yeah, absolutely. And look, civic service and politics are noble causes. And I think that's, that's the mentality you've got to come in. And we need uh, young, energetic, uh, 
men and women to come in and re-energize the system and to actually defend the system. All right, perfect. So we're, we're going to wrap up in a minute or two, so we'll end on something fun. You guys are back on campus for the first time and God knows when. Uh, you know, what if you got to go back to undergrad, if you got to do it again, what's one thing you'd do differently? I would sign up for a lot more things like GU politics. And- <laughs> there we go. I would, actually, I mean, I'm not just being facetious. I mean, the truth of the matter is you can get so absorbed in your studies, and I, I really focused exclusively on on grades, uh, and, and I think it's really important to get out and, and, and because the, the real experiences that will enrich you are the people you meet, uh, the, the faculty, pe- people like us, and, and uh, just to be involved in a way uh, that, that's just beyond uh, uh, book learning, I think is a tremendous uh, thing that I wish I'd done more of when I was in college. Um, one, one thing that I, I actually did right, but I almost didn't do right. So I'm almost, I always want to talk to students about this. I waited until my senior year to study abroad and almost didn't get abroad because I was, <laughs> I didn't want to miss homecoming. But I had enough sense to know that if I opened my mouth to my parents and friends to say, I'm going to turn down this scholarship to go to South Africa because I want to go to a football game, they look at me like I was crazy. But I think the experience professionally and just civically people get from getting outside of their bubble is just huge. And I wish people, more students, decided that spending a summer or a semester abroad was something that they were really they were willing to do. And I wish universities made that more affordable and had more scholarships to fund those opportunities. If that's not a reality, something I did not do that I wish I did. Um, because I grew up in D.C. and have only lived in urban areas, I would have really benefited from an internship in rural America. Um, I think as a journalist, I mean, too many people in Washington and D.C. are writing about communities they know nothing about and that they've never even been to. And I think working in like just a small town in Virginia would have given me so much more expertise at the table that I, I just I have a hole in my like knowledge gap. Um, about that. So I know they're already in D.C., so they don't need to intern in D.C. this summer as well, like go to Missouri. Yeah. Um, I harken back to something um, Dorothy said earlier in terms of don't put yourself in a career path and think that you have to do the following things and convince yourself you're going to, you want to or going to end up in one place and use your summers to go intern in places that maybe you don't, maybe aren't exactly on your career path, but could open you up to other things um, and learn about other areas that you could be involved in that maybe peripherally attached to what you care about. Because I find that um, a lot of times you'll convince yourself they have to take one path and if the ability to take a summer and do something slightly off that path and learn more about things is interesting. And I really kept myself on a pretty narrow path on my summers and I was like really mm-hmm. planned out and very strict about what I was going to spend my time doing. And I think if I had um, been a little more open-minded and, and pushed myself out of my comfort zone a little bit, I might have might have even learned more about what I wanted to eventually do. Um, and I'm just opening up here to everyone. I would have taken the first three years of my schooling very seriously, um, <laughs> where my senior year was very tough. Look, at the end of the day, I met my wife uh, in college, so it's the best experience of my life. But uh, the first three years I wasted, uh, I did not go abroad. Yeah. I did not do any internships. Um, and my senior year was tough, for sure. So if I had this experience again, which seems to me I'm, I'm kind of having again, so yep. I'm very excited about it, to be back on campus, 
um, I would I would have taken a little bit more seriously. I would have taken um, all the opportunities to travel abroad, to to go do internships that um, out of my comfort zone instead of just thinking about. I I really think that um, one. One of the things that I have focused on as well is national service and more opportunities for national service. And fortunately, there aren't enough opportunities for a year of service for as many young people as want to do them. I wish I had done a year of service of national service, um, taken a year in between high school and college, or maybe between college and law school, to to really give back to my country in a in a, a committed way of a year or two. I really feel like that's a a way we can. If we find more opportunities for young people to do that, we can really uh, build a fabric to this country and help move forward and pull together all in the same direction, no matter um, what diverse backgrounds we come from. But I think working on a team in a way, pulling together towards tackling a community problem, I think I would have loved that experience and, and loved the, the opportunity to, to give back, but also to work in a cohort of people from completely different backgrounds than mine for a whole year. So I, I promote national service. I would have loved a gap year. Um, I think that would have been awesome. And I think not only should we encourage people to pursue those and maybe institutions like universities and businesses to help fund those to make them possible, but definitely got to challenge like employers to recognize those as, t as time well spent, yeah. right? And not look like you were just hanging out, like you were working mm -hmm. on something, you know? Virginia was the first state in the nation. Was that a plug, Eugene? Did you oh, that? The first state in the nation to recognize um, national service as a, a credential uh, for state like government employment. Yeah. At the end of this wow. fellowship, I'm going to know so much about Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are. So I, I think that's a great note to end on. Uh, so thank you guys. Uh, we wish you much success with your discussion groups this semester. We hope to see you around McCourt. Hope you'll talk to GPPR individually. We'll schedule time. Um, and uh, thank you so much. So thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.